talk about Jonah chapter 2 again this morning. Uh, but before I do, I have a question for you. Uh, you're free to answer or not answer, uh, however you feel. But I, I would like to ask you, how many of you feel like you're the most stubborn person in your home? Is there anyone willing to admit that? We have a few that are willing to own that. And so, except for the ones pointing arrows at each other, um, my second question will answer this. How many of you feel like you came to church this morning with the most stubborn person in your home? You don't have to raise that. Uh, um, we'll, we'll not go into that. But if you didn't raise your hand the first time, we kind of know who you think the most stubborn person is in your home anyway. I'm just going to point that out. But in my home, there's no doubt everyone knows who the most stubborn person is. Crystal's not in here this morning, so I'm free to admit that it's me. I'm the most probably, not probably, I am the most stubborn person in my home. I have proof of this time and time again, so does Crystal. I know this past week um, we finally got around to putting down some laminate flooring in, in our living area. Well, part of that process is getting the carpet up. That's kind of a hard part. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but moving furniture and that kind of stuff by yourself is kind of a, a challenge. I didn't believe her when she said I should ask for help, and so me and my stubbornness decided to do it on my own. I, I feel like one big bruise this morning, if I'm totally honest. I did it, piano and couch and all, but it, it was hard. It was a challenge. I was feeling pretty stubborn. And then, you know, as I read on the box... I've never put down laminate flooring before. I read on the box it says, you know, your floor is supposed to be leveled, blah, 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 blah. You don't have, I mean, I don't, whatever. Stuff, just snap it together and throw it down. That's not the case. So anyway, my dad showed up to my rescue, to my utter, you know, shame. My stubbornness has to admit that I was wrong and that I needed help. I bring that up this morning because as we go back and we talk about Jonah, some of you may have forgotten just how stubborn this guy is. He might be the most stubborn person we read about in the Bible, as a matter of fact. He's a man who lived among Israel. His one job is to tell other people what God said. And so God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and tell them they stink. Tell them that their sin has arisen before me, that they have a terrible odor, and they need a clean house. And Jonah hears what God says, and he hears, go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrians, the people who hate Jonah's people, the Israelites. And Jonah says, he doesn't say anything, he just runs. He runs from God, and he runs, and he gets on a boat, and he goes in the opposite direction of where God told him to go. Any of y'all ever been there before? God tells you to go one way, and you go the other way. Well, that's what Jonah does. He runs from God, or at least he thinks he's running from God. He gets on a boat. He goes the opposite direction, and God throws a huge storm against the boat. And the people who are sailing the boat with Jonah say, Jonah, what can we do to get out of this? How can we please this God that you have made so angry at you? And Jonah doesn't say, well, you know, I should probably do what he told me. Or maybe I should change my heart. Maybe I should pray and ask him to forgive me. No, Jonah and his stubbornness says, I know he's the God of the universe. I know he owns all things, but I don't care. I'm not going to do what he says. Just throw me overboard. I would rather drown in the sea than do what this God has told me to do. That's pretty stubborn, wouldn't you say? I would rather die than listen to you. That's the level of Jonah's stubbornness. And, and I point that out because, like I said, I think he might be one of the most stubborn people we read about in the Bible. But what we need to know is that he's actually the second 
most stubborn person we read about in the Bible. If you would, look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Jonah 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We pray with me? God, I pray. God, I pray as we're gathered here this morning that we would hear of your mercy and your grace and that wouldn't get in the way. God, that wouldn't get in the way of the word that you want to speak to your people and to the, the people who are gathered here this morning. God, I pray that they wouldn't get in your way. God, that the stubbornness of our hearts would be overcome by your grace, your love, and your mercy and that we would be changed forever by you. We need you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you from Jonah this morning that God is actually more stubborn than you ever thought about being. God said to Jonah, go where I told you to go. Jonah said, no, I'd rather jump in the sea. He jumps in the sea and God says, no, you're not getting out that easy. I made a big fish. I'm going to swallow you up. You can't drown. Can you imagine? Like this is how stubborn God is. He says to Jonah, you're not getting out that easy. The only person in the universe more stubborn than Jonah at this point is God. God in his grace and his love and his mercy won't let Jonah get out of it. And I know the number one question when you come to the book of Jonah, what about the big fish? What about, you know, what kind of fish was this? What kind of, was it a whale? All those different questions. That, um, and, and there's lots of commentary on that. If you want to talk about it later, we can. The, the truth is, though, that, that the answer to that question is actually answered in Genesis 1.1 where we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God can do whatever He wants. If He wants to make a big fish to swallow up some bitter, stubborn guy, He can make a big fish to swallow up some bitter, stubborn guy. I mean, He flung stars into the universe without, with, with only a word. If He wants to create a big fish, I'm pretty sure that's in His wheelhouse. And so I don't feel like we need to spend a lot of time trying to argue one way or the other on that this morning. It, it's really... It really deflects what actually the book of Jonah is about. I heard one uh, fifth grade teacher asked her students, what's the book of Jonah about? And they said, a really big whale. It's not. It's about a really big God who's bigger, more powerful, and more loving than our greatest, most stubborn sin. has nothing to do with the whale or the fish or whatever it was. It has to do with the fact that God is in control whether we like it or not. And so Jonah tries to run. He tries to hide. And he can't. God gets him. He swallows him up with this big fish. And, and, and what one commentator said was that the belly of the fish is not a happy place to live, but it's a good place to learn. See, Jonah has to learn that God's purpose and his concern for what he told Jonah to do is more serious than Jonah's resolve to get away from him. He has to understand that God is in control far beyond the shores of his own little people group. He has to learn that God is interested in ruling the entire universe, not just his one little section, and that Jonah doesn't get a say. Guys, this is hard. This is hard to learn. Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days. Deep theological question for you. Why is he in the belly of the fish for three days? After two days, he still hadn't learned his lesson. It takes him three days in the belly of a fish to learn the lesson that God is actually the one calling the shots. I'm not sure how long it would take for me. Hopefully I would learn quicker than Jonah, but experience tells me otherwise. I did spend two and a half hours trying to... Anyway, I won't go into that. But anyway, so <laughs> we, we often think that Jonah's being in the belly of the fish is his punishment. But guys, I want to tell you that it's actually God's grace. 
We think of the, the belly of the fish, you know, well, you know, I was in the belly of the whale. Yeah, but that's actually a learning place. It's actually what's keeping Jonah alive at this point. God didn't allow Jonah to die, not to punish Jonah, but to teach Jonah. To show him that he actually is worth serving, that he actually is worth worshiping. To show him that even if God's command is confusing, he's still worth serving. <clears throat> that even when we don't understand God's command, we can trust his heart. So often we think we know what's best. And it takes Jonah a couple of days in the belly of a fish to learn this, that God actually knows what's best. Look at verse, two, verse 1 of chapter 2, Jonah 2, 1. And so after three days, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Jonah is told to go to Nineveh. He doesn't pray. Jonah gets in a boat. He doesn't pray about which boat to take. Jonah is in the middle of a storm. These people who doesn't, don't even believe in God tell Jonah to pray. Jonah doesn't pray. Jonah is thrown into the ocean. He goes down, 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 down. And now he begins to pray. You see, he had let his sin get so between him and God, he thought that it was best for him not to talk to him at all. He thought it was best not to even begin to have a conversation with the Lord. And so he just allows himself to sink further and further and further away from the Lord until finally he says, okay, I guess I'm ready to pray. He had to go through a lot of pain before he learned, hey, I actually do need to pray. And so we come to uh, verse 2 of chapter 2, here, Jonah 2, 2, uh, and then we'll look down through verse 3. It says, saying, and so this is Jonah's prayer, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, or out of the grave, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep. Notice he says, you cast me into the deep. Jonah's starting to get it. It's not up to Jonah. It's not even up to the sailors. It's up to God. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. See, Jonah looked around and he realized he hit rock bottom. Like literally, he hit rock bottom. He hit the bottom of the sea. I wonder, have you hit bottom yet? You still sinking? You still falling? I really feel like it's not until we finally get to the bottom that we're willing to trust and we're truly willing to follow the Lord. It's not until we give up faith in everything else around us that we're willing to say, Lord, help me. Because as long as we think we can figure out a way out of what God has called us to do, as long as we think we can figure out a way out of the situation we find ourselves in, we're going to keep saying, eh, I don't know if God's really the one I should listen to on this. I don't know if I should really pray about this. I think I'm just going to keep running. But for Jonah, he had hit bottom. He would finally hit rock bottom, and he was finally willing to talk to the Lord. What's it going to take for you to hit rock bottom this morning? What's it going to take for you to finally say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm finally ready to make a change. I'm finally ready to listen. I'm finally ready to uh, turn around and serve you. What's it going to take for you this morning? I think it's different for everyone. Everyone has a different bottom. Some of our rock bottoms are deeper than others. And so Jonah, for, for Jonah, it was the bottom of the sea. It took him a long ways to get there, right? But finally he says, enough is enough. And we come to verse 4 of chapter 2. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. 
Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You notice the very essence of Jonah's prayer is that God is one of love and mercy and grace. He says, as I was dying, I called out and you heard me. You heard my deathbed confession. You heard me as I saw there was no other options. Think about that, guys. It's not exactly like this is a very noble prayer. Jonah's dying. Like his other option is to suck water and that'd be it. But rather than that, he cries out to God. It's not exactly like he has anything to offer God at this point. He has nothing to offer Him. But rather than saying, God, if you wouldn't mind, or maybe if you're able, would you save me? Maybe if you're able, you'd show me grace. No, he's confident. He says, I'm seeking, I'm dying, but I know I'm going to look at your temple again. I know I'm almost done. I know I've almost taken my last breath, but I know you're going to save me. He's confident in the grace of God. Even as he's at his most rebellious, disobedient state with nothing else to offer. Sometimes I, sometimes I think that we think if we get good enough or if we get okay enough or if we get enough ducks in a row, then God will listen to us. Then we'll be good enough to hear from God and God will, will be good enough for God to speak to us. But that's not the teaching of the Bible, guys. God doesn't teach us that. He teaches us when we are at our very worst, He will save us and forgive us. No questions asked. And so he prays. He says, God, I know that I'll see you again. I know that you will save me because you're a good God full of grace and mercy and love. And so we come to verse 8. And here we see Jonah's confession. It says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. They forsake their hope of the faithfulness of God. Verse 9, But I, here's the contrast between him and everybody else that serves fake idols. He says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He says, I have trusted everything I shouldn't trust. I've hoped in everything I shouldn't hope in, and it has cost me dearly. And instead of running anymore, I'm finally willing and able uh, to turn to you and trust on you, Lord. Not because I can do something to earn it, but because you are good. He's saying, "I, I looked around, and I saw that these people who, who trust in these false gods, these false idols, they're getting nothing out of it. You see, the one true God is the only God who can actually do anything in your life. What are you trusting in this morning? What are you putting your hope in this morning? What are your idols? What are you saying, hey, this is what's going to give me security. This is what's going to give me satisfaction. This is what's going to finally fix me and give me the, the hope for a change I finally need. Jonah says to us from the belly of the whale, none of that stuff's going to work. None of that stuff's able to actually save you or change you. What are you putting your hope in? He says, I'm going to trust in the Lord and I'm going to do it with the voice of thanksgiving. Again, that's, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? He's in the belly of a whale or a fish, we don't know. He's in the belly of this fish and he says, God, I'm going to do this thankfully. Everything's been stripped away. And he says, I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to sacrifice to you. And he says, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do, Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Why does he point us out, point out this fact that salvation belongs to the Lord? Well, what had Jonah done to earn the salvation? He's in the belly of a fish. He can't do anything. 
Like all he can say is, I'm sorry. Like he can't buy this salvation. He can't earn this salvation. He can't do anything. He can't add anything. And so he says, salvation comes from God and God alone. You can put your trust in all this other stuff. You can put your trust even in yourself. But it's going to come up empty. It's going to come up vain. The only thing you can put your trust in, the only person you can put your trust in and actually receive salvation is the Lord. And so he says, I'm putting my trust in God's power to save and forgive me and that alone. You see, while we serve the Lord and while we want to be faithful to the Lord, the truth is is that salvation, it only comes from Him. We don't earn it. We don't buy it. It's a gift freely given to us through Christ. It's not something we can somehow get on our own. And so Jonah says, salvation is of the Lord. Then we come to verse 10 of chapter 2. <coughs> and we see the result of, of Jonah's prayer. And, I mean, you've you got to admit, this is some kind of experience. And the Lord spoke to, jo- to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah is thrown up like something bad you ate at a really nasty buffet onto the the beach. Exactly where God told him to go in the first place. You really think you're more stubborn than God this morning? God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah doesn't say anything. He runs away, ends up jumping off a boat to get away from God, hoping he drowns. And then the end result is a fish takes Jonah, swims to where God told him to be in the first place and spits him out. Like that dude tastes gross. Tell me that you're more stubborn than God. I I think of all the characters in the Bible, and we talked about this a little bit in the small group on Wednesday night. I I think I relate to Jonah, and we had this discussion. I think everybody pretty much agreed. We, We relate to Jonah better than most anybody else we read about in the Bible. He's the guy who ran from God. God said, go do this. Jonah said, no, I'm going to go do that. I, I know for me personally, and I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, when, when God said, I, I want you in ministry, I was like, no, <laughs> I'm running the other way. And I did. And then I ran some more, and I ran some more, and I did things I would, would, would really rather not remember or talk about to try and prove to God He didn't want me, He didn't need me, use somebody else, you, you know, take somebody else and do this. But through it all, I could hear His voice in the back of my mind saying, no, no. <laughs> That's not what you're going to do. No, I'm not done with you. No, I know you think that you can outrun me, but you can't. And I was miserable. And eventually I came to the place where I said, okay, Lord, whatever you want, your terms, not mine. Not because I'd done something. Not because I was special or any of that. Just because God in his stubborn love outstubborned me. He, out, um, he, out, he held out longer than I did. Guys, that's the amazing thing about God's love and grace for us. It never runs out. We never get to the end of it. You you may think that you're beyond it, but you're not. You're not beyond His love. You're not beyond His grace. It's sort of like the the Niagara Falls. Just no matter how much water comes over the side, it's just going to keep on coming. And so I, I wonder this morning if any of you are running and you have that same voice in the back of your mind, you have that same uneasiness in the bottom of your heart that says, I'm not right. I'm miserable. The stuff I'm doing that's supposed to make me happy don't make me happy. The stuff I thought would finally fill that hole is just making that hole bigger. You know what He wants you to do. You know what He doesn't want you to do. Aren't you tired of running? Are you tired of that feeling? For Jonah, it took him two days to learn this. 
What's it going to take for you? God in His stubborn love doesn't let you go very easily. That conviction is not going to just magically disappear. That pain is not just going to magically go away. What is He calling you to that you're hanging on to and He's saying let go of? What is He calling you to and you're not willing to go and He's saying go? You see, your excuses are no good with God. He's heard them all. Like we've all used them. Sort of like being the second kid, you know. No matter what you use, the first one already used it up. Same thing with God. He knows as you run from Him. And so we come to verse 1 of chapter 3. Maybe my most favorite verse in the Bible, definitely my most favorite verse in Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The God that we serve, it's not a God of a one-time chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He had not outrun God's grace. He had not gotten to the point that God was unwilling to use him. He had not gotten to the point that God was willing to kick him to the curb. God in his grace said, no, I'm not done with you. You may think that I'm done with you. You may think that you can talk me out of this, but I'm not. And so his word came to him a second time. God in his love for you is more stubborn than the most stubbornness you can offer to him. The most stubborn person in your home is not you, it is God. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that his love, his never-ending love, his unending, unrelenting grace for us is never done. And so, to sort of close us out this morning, let me look at verse 2 of chapter 3. God speaks to Jonah and he tells him something. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. Verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. We'll stop there for just a minute. Well, let me go ahead and finish and then we'll come back to some of this. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Guys, can I tell you that true salvation brings about real change in your life? Had Jonah just said that stuff to get out of the belly of the fish when God said, Go do that, you know what he would have done? Nah, I'm good. The hard stuff's over. I'm back on dry land. See you later, God. Peace. Right? Thanks for the ride. But now he actually does what God tells him to do. The difference between those who follow Christ and those who talk about following Christ is those who follow Christ, when, when, when the pressure lets up, they keep following Christ. Those who are only talking about it when the pressure lets up, you don't see them anymore. They quit serving, they quit following, they quit doing what God called them to do. But God says to Jonah, go. And so Jonah goes and he preaches maybe the, the shortest sermon in the Bible. And I I keep offering and I keep saying that maybe one day I'm going to preach Jonah's sermon. I haven't done it yet. Jonah's sermon's really simple. It doesn't even have one point. His point is this. Hey, 40 days and y'all are all going to fry. See y'all later. Like, I mean, that's his sermon. Y'all are all doomed. See you later. That's an awesome sermon, right? Don't even have to worry about an illustration or an introduction or conclusion. But that's Jonah's sermon. And because God told him to go tell him, and he did. Because he's obeying the Lord. I wonder this morning, are you following the Lord? Are you serving the Lord? Or are you just talking about it? Are you actually following through on what you promised to do? If you're not, maybe that's where that 
piece of your heart that's hurting is coming from. You know what God wants you to do? You know what he's calling you to do, but you think that somehow you can get out of it because there's not a whole lot of pressure, not a whole lot of suffering, not a whole lot of conviction. Nobody's really called you on it. I can just keep on doing what I'm doing. Maybe nobody will ever notice. God knows. And if you're really going to follow him, you're really going to serve him. <clears throat> and so are you just playing games this morning? Let me leave you with just a few thoughts and, I, and we'll be done. <clears throat> First off, your conviction won't get better until you repent. God's not going to remove that conviction until you repent. If you're running from him this morning, stop running and start repenting. If you are his child, he's not going to let go of you. Stop trying to get away from God. Now, there may be times where he lessens it and lets you go through some stuff. But if you're running from him, stop. And say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve you? Secondly, his grace is greater than all of your sin. Jonah proves this to us. Jonah couldn't have gone further from the Lord in his mind. But he wasn't so far away that Jesus couldn't save him. He wasn't so far away that God couldn't redeem him. He wasn't so far away that God couldn't show him his grace. You know that Jesus actually uses Jonah and his uh, time in the belly of this fish as a picture of his resurrection. He, he says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the, in the belly of the earth or in, in the earth for three days and three nights. Basically, Jesus is tying his own resurrection to the fact that Jonah was in the fish and, and came back out basically rising from the dead. Jesus says, that's what I'm going to do. Only Jesus did it way better, right? He didn't do it because he was in trouble. He didn't do it because he had done something wrong. No, he went to the cross and he paid for our sins, past, present, and future. And he says, whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. And he proves it by going and to the cross, dying on the cross, paying for our sins, being buried in a tomb because he's dead. You don't bury live people. He was buried, and for three days, he spent three days in the tomb, and after three days, he rose again. And he says, whoever believes in me will have the same life in him. And he says, this grace is offered to whoever needs it, to whoever wants it, to whoever asks it. And so I ask you this morning, have you experienced that grace? If you have, are you showing that grace? And then finally, Jesus really can change you. I know some of you may feel like, man, I, I've tried, <laughs> and I've tried again, and, and I've tried again, and, and I just, I can't get it right. I don't think I can ever change. I don't think I can ever turn my life around. I understand that. I've been there. Jesus actually truly can change you. If he changed Jonah, and we'll see, Jonah messes up again. We'll talk about that next week. If he changed him, if he changed me, I know he can change you. Don't give up on his grace and his strength. Stop running from him. Stop ignoring him. Stop pretending you don't know what he wants you to do. Stop pretending that he's not everywhere and over all things. Guys, you can't escape his grace. You can't escape his call on your life. He can and he will change you. What's it going to take for you to understand that? What's it going to take for you to stop running from him and start praying to him? What's it going to take for you to stop running from Him and start running to Him? What's it going to take for you to start being obedient to Him in your life? He actually really will change you. He will truly transform your life. When you come to Him, He makes you new. 
He makes you a new creation with a new heart, with a new love in it. And you work out that heart and that love for the rest of your life. Not perfectly, but you spend the rest of your life seeking Him, praising Him, chasing after Him. What are you waiting for this morning? Why are you still hanging on? Why are you hanging on to the past? Why are you hanging on to this idea that He can't save you? You feel like you're down in the belly of a big fish this morning? You're like, man, I, I don't feel like I can move anywhere. I feel like your sin is sort of a prison. I feel like this conviction is sort of a prison. You know how you get out of that? Lord, I, I have no other options. My only option is for you to save me. My only option is to serve you. And that's what I want to do. You don't have to impress him. You don't have to buy it from him. He offers it freely. Why would you not receive it? Why would you not receive his grace and his mercy? Why would you not run to him and say, Lord, I need it. What you have, I need. If you would stand with us, and as you stand, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, if God is working in your heart, you need to come and pray down here at the front. You need to pray right where you are. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you.